Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. So, like I said, we are starting a new series. Let's see if I got a, there we go, called Empowered, okay? Um, I, I was wondering, just off the bat here, how many of you consider yourselves to be grammar people? Anyone? Yeah, okay, so there's a few. I wasn't sure if anyone would confess to that, right? Like, like <laughs> you just, I mean, yeah, you, if you're a grammar person, right, you just, you just feel like you're just right, you know? So it's, there's nothing to be ashamed of for that, right? You know, you, you might be a grammar person. Like, if you, know, if you know the proper usage of who versus whom all the time, right, you might be a grammar person. Um, I, I've never been able to get that at all. So, you know, you always know where the capitalizations are, all that kind of stuff. I, I, was, I was thinking about that this morning because um, of this word, empowered, and I'll get to that in a second. But I, uh, I, would, not be, I, I would not naturally be a grammar person. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like... Uh, I'm a numbers guy, I'm an engineer, I'm a finance person, so like I live in number spaces. So, so really, like my use of the English language is, uh, would naturally not be, not be very good, probably. Um, except for the fact that I had uh, this one teacher in high school, my senior year of high school, I had um, Mr. Rothberg in, uh, in English. And, you know, we've got, a, we've got, I think, an unusually high number of teachers in, in, our, in our church family, so shout out to all of you guys. You, there's, yeah, woohoo, exactly. You, you, you can make a real difference. You do make a real difference, right? So I had this one teacher who, like I said, for this kind of numbers guy, he basically, I can attribute any ability I have to write or use the English language well to him, to him really. So um, he, he brought us through all these, like, really horrible exercises where, like, this is, this, is, this is a real thing. I hope this doesn't cause you anxiety to even just hear this. But he would take, like, our essays, and he would project them on the wall. And in class, he would correct them as he goes, right? <laughs> like, it was, it was, it was bad. It was, it was hard. But it also worked. It also worked. We, we learned things <laughs> from doing that. So, so you know, I'm, I'm actually, believe it or not, grateful for that. And um, so one of the things that... Mr. Rothberg drilled into my head was this thing about passive voice, okay? You guys know what passive voice is? I know some of you are like, I came to church, I wasn't trying to get an English lesson. It's okay, it'll be over in a second, okay? So, so passive voice, right, is where, is where you, know, you say things and, and it's not clear who's doing the acting, right? So, so you, you can have an appropriate use of passive voice if that's the point, that you, there's a mystery about who the actor is. But a lot of times we use passive voice, and it's actually not a good thing because you ought to, you ought to be clear about who the actor is, right? Who is, who is doing the verb. And I was, I was thinking about that here in this, in this word empowered, right? Because we throw this word out there. It's like that's a, that's a very easily passive voice word to have be out there, right? Empowered. It's like, oh, I'm just, I'm, I, I am empowered, right? That's the tell. That's the, your grammar lesson. The tell for passive voice is if you're using to be or some form of to be, right? So you can say, I, I am empowered or uh, to be empowered. And it's like, well, what's happening in that, right? What's happening in this empowering that we're talking about? Really what we should be doing is talking about it uh, in terms of active voice, right? Because the reality about this empowered word is that there is someone doing the empowering Right? There's an entity that's doing the empowering, there's someone doing the empowering, and there's someone who's receiving the empowerment. 
right? So two, right? This is basic. You're, you're all following, right? So there's, there's someone doing the empowering, and what we're talking about, of course, is we're talking about the Holy Spirit in this case, right? The Holy Spirit empowers, and then who's, who's he empowering? He's empowering all of us, right? So, um, so I, wanted to, I wanted to just start with that, right? We're talking about empowered. And it is the Holy Spirit that empowers all of us. And the interesting thing about this kind of idea that there's two actors, right? There's, there's, there's the Holy Spirit and there's us, is that there's actually choices to be made on both sides of that fence, right? Um, you know, the, the reality is that for us, you know, we can't control the Holy Spirit, okay? We can't control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit is going to do in a lot of ways, right? We can, uh, we can uh, as we'll talk about in a minute, we can notice what the Holy Spirit is doing. We can welcome what the Holy Spirit is doing, but we can't control it. You can't manufacture it. Um, and one of the great mysteries of how the Holy Spirit works is just like, well, why, why can't we? Like, it seems like we ought to be able to like, do these certain things, and then the Holy Spirit will show up, but it like, doesn't work like that all the time. Sometimes we do those things, and nothing, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. We, can't, we don't control the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And, but on the other side of that, there's us. Okay? And the thing about that is that you also, we also have a choice in that. And that's, that's kind of the mystery. It's like we, we play a part in what, whether the Holy Spirit comes or not and what the Holy Spirit ends up doing. Um, you know, it says in Scripture a lot of places, it, it points this out, um, just the, kind of the choices that we bring to the table with that. Um, but one of the things that we know about um, our choice in that is that we can actually resist the Holy Spirit, right? You know that? So Scripture talks about that we can resist the Holy Spirit. And the, thing, the, the part that I think about a lot, uh, you know, when I, was, when I was thinking about this teaching uh, yesterday, I was like, when in, in the book of Acts in chapter 7, okay, there's, uh, there's this incredible scene where Stephen, Stephen is this uh, man that the writer Luke describes as being full of the Holy Spirit, Okay, this man who's full of the Holy Spirit, he's the first one who's named as a deacon in the book of Acts. The apostles uh, designate these deacons to take care of the poor, and they're all, they're all minorities essentially serving people who are marginalized, and Stephen's the first one on that list, okay? And Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's doing all these powerful things, and the Jewish leaders, they don't like it. The Jewish people who are watching this, they don't like it. They haul him in front of the Sanhedrin, so this, this council of Jewish leaders, and they're like, what's your problem? Like, it's, what's going on? Are you, are you doing this thing? Um, and Stephen in Acts 7 gives this, like, really, really long, incredibly uh, well-articulated history of the Israelite people through all of Scripture. He says, look at all these things that happened. All of these things went on through history. And what it was all leading up to was this promised Messiah that was Jesus. But here's the thing about that, you guys. You missed it. He says, you missed it, you Jewish leaders, you Jewish people. You missed that Jesus was here, that the Messiah was here, this person that you were expecting. And in fact, you didn't just miss him, you murdered him, right? And he says, why, why did that happen? Why did that happen? And he says this thing in, uh, in Acts 7, that I just, I'll just read for you, which is like, for me, it was just like, it was so piercing in so many ways. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. Okay, so in other words, you're, you might have the physical marks of being the people of God, 
Right? You might have the physical marks. You might be going through the motions of what it looks like to be the people of God on the outside. You might be showing up the temple, making your sacrifices, all that kind of stuff. You might have the physical marks of being the people of God, but, but in your heart, where it really, really counts inside in your heart, and importantly, <laughs> he says ears, right? Really specifically, in your ears, in what you take in and what you receive, you are not being the people of God. And so then he says, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And man, I don't know, I was just, uh, for me, I was just thinking about that uh, just yesterday. And like, I don't know, I was just kind of like overcome a little bit. Like I was, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm resisting the Holy Spirit. I don't try to resist the Holy Spirit. But there was something in just like reading that and just God talking to me about that that was like, man, that's an easy thing to do, actually. It's an easy thing to resist the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the choices that we sometimes make when we talk about the us side of this, okay? Is we don't want to resist. We want the Holy Spirit to come, okay? Um, So this morning, really all I'm going to do, I'm going to talk a little bit just to intro the series. I'm just going to talk a little bit about the context that we find ourselves in for the series, um, kind of specifically, like why we're doing this and, you know, just kind of where we're at with things as a church. And then, uh, and then I'm just going to tell some stories. So, and I'll just see how, many, how much time I have for how many stories. Are more, I have more stories than I have time for, but, um, but I'll just tell some stories. And, um, and a lot of that will just be to say, like, I don't know, to just kind of say that we need, we need empowerment. We need the Holy Spirit to come and empower us and um, and so that's all, that's all we're going to do this morning. Is that, does that work? Can we do that? Um, so, uh, first, yeah, before I go on, 1 Corinthians, this is a, actually a great verse. So for the series, if you want to memorize this. Now there are varieties of gifts for the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service for the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Okay? So there it is. Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about uh, why we need the Spirit to empower us and what our context is. Okay, so just, just a few things. So first of all, um, we are now, it's after Easter, and I don't know if you know this, but this is that in the church calendar, okay, and we don't talk about, a lot about the, the church calendar here um, in, our, in our highly informal church, um, but, we, uh, but there's, there's such a thing. We're actually in the Easter season. So Easter was a day, but this is actually the Easter season, and, and sort of at the end of that, is this thing called Pentecost, okay? It's Pentecost Sunday. Does anyone, who, who knows what Pentecost Sunday is? I'm just curious. Get a little bit? Some. Okay, all right, that's pretty good. Okay, so Pentecost, Pentecost was celebrated in the Old Testament, which I'm not going to get into, but in the New Testament, um, Pentecost is basically when we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming um, upon the, the new believers, the, the, the church, the original church, um, after Jesus had ascended back up to heaven. And so, um, so we've actually, like, like I said, we're very informal. This, this church is like, you know, this is, there's like high church, you know, if you know what that means, and then there's like low church. We're like, we're like, like low church, definitely, right? So that's just, that's us. Um, but we, we've started to recognize that, you know, as much as, as, much as David doesn't, doesn't even love Christmas and Easter, it's true, right? I mean, you, lo- you love Christmas. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth. You know, we just, we, 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 we kind of just, we, we have rebellion in our hearts sometimes of, about, about dates on the calendar. Um, but as much as that's been the case sometimes, 
Uh, we've actually recognized uh, in recent years, like, you know, Pentecost, Pentecost is pretty cool, you know? Pentecost is something that we probably ought to make a bigger deal out of. And, um, and actually, uh, last year, we did, we ended up doing a series that kind of led right up into Pentecost. Um, is, I, I don't know, I thought, to me, it was a, a really kind of life-changing thing in, in my perspective as we were going through that. It was about um, what we call the Paschal Mystery. So if you missed that last year, go back onto our YouTube channel and find that. Um, but yeah, we started being like, hey, Pentecost is the thing. And, um, and so that's on the calendar. And then we actually, this year, had the Vineyard, the Vineyard Movement, Vineyard USA, uh, actually put out this series, which, like, we didn't have to make our own graphics this time. This was from Vineyard USA. They were like, hey, we, we think Pentecost is also a thing. And so we're going to do this teaching series, and we're actually going to end it. So on, on May 28th, that's Pentecost Sunday, that's seven, I guess that's six weeks from now, right? If I'm doing the math right, seven weeks after Easter. Um, so so that, that week we're actually going to have our teaching um, by video, sorry, uh, but from uh, the Vineyards National Director, Jay Pathak. So, um, so we're going to do this thing with this larger vineyard movement. And, um, and actually, so this, this teaching originally, uh, before God kind of changed it up on me, this teaching originally I was going to talk just a, a good bit about like actually why we're part of the vineyard movement and what, what that's about. And I'm, so so that's, I'm really not going to talk a lot about that. Uh, this morning. Uh, save that for another day, hopefully. Um, but what I will say about that is that, uh, you know, we are part of this larger uh, group of churches and associations. Sometimes we say it's a tribe. I don't know. This, it's, it's all voluntary. Uh, nobody, we're, we're independent churches, right? So we, we own our own building here. Nobody can tell us exactly what to do, but we're part of this larger community of churches um, a lot for, I mean, for, for many reasons, right? Like, when one of them is certainly, you know, we just came out of the series of Philippians where we talked about uh, the importance of thinking about us, right? And then we kind of use the context of just, like, our church and thinking more than just individually, like, what is God doing with you as an individual, but really what's God doing with us together and the impact of that. Well, the same thing is true of, like, the larger vineyard movement, right? Like, it's important to us in our formation and what God is doing to be aware and to be part of what God is doing in the larger church. And, and the vineyard is kind of just our, our home and our tribe. Um, but, but in this context, what, what the vineyard really does for us, um, among, like I said, among many things, but the vineyard pushes for us, in a, in a good way, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a lot of theological stuff we could get into, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, really, I think... I, I don't know, I'll just speak for myself, but I think it's true for maybe many of us. Like, the reality is that left to our own devices, you know, just this, this church kind of floating out here in St. Louis, Missouri, you know, we, we, we do a good job, we love each other. Who, who, who can name, by the way, what are our four ministry essentials? Who's, who can name this? You'll get, you'll get a prize. Maybe. I don't know. Anybody? Nobody. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> okay, we have, but we, yeah? What do you got? Love, exactly, that's one of them. Yes, so we are here to bring God's love. We're here to bring God's uh, presence. We're here to bring God's truth and to bring God's power, right? So, so out of those things, you know, the love thing, our relationships with each other, how we choose to be kind with each other, it's like, like the truth is, of course, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you to do any of those things, okay? But you can kind of like, you can kind of like get along with each other, at least to some extent, at least maybe with some people, you know? 
Um, you, don't, you don't really need the Holy Spirit until you, until you get like, to loving people that are hard to love, right? That's when you really need help. But you can at least kind of have like, the semblance of community and love and God's love. And, and then when it comes to God's truth, again, like, you need the empowerment to be able to hear God's truth. But, like, but there's a sense in which I mean, you can read your Bible and we can get up here and we can teach God's word. And, and, and you can kind of have this sense that you sort of control that right, in some way. And, and even God's presence, right, like when we worship, we come together, and um, like there's, there's a sense in which we just, especially as a vineyard, we just know how to do that, right? Like you play the songs, and, you know, you put yourself in a certain posture, and, and, and then you can just sense that God's presence is here. There's things that you can, you can kind of at least sort of pretend like you're controlling at least some, in some way, shape, or form. But when it comes to God's power... That's pretty clearly not something that we can control, right? We cannot manufacture God moving in power. We, really, we, don't, we don't want to, certainly. I mean, some people try to do that, right? But certainly in the vineyard, we, we value highly authenticity. We never want to get anywhere close to manufacturing anything. And so we can't control that, right? So left to our own devices, it's actually kind of easy to sort of fall into a place where we're just, not necessarily expecting God to move in power. We're not expecting the Holy Spirit to come in power um, because that's kind of hard sometimes. And it's kind of, we, like I said, we don't control it. You know, We pray for people sometimes and they don't get well. I mean, some of, some of you now, I know, like, you're, you're suffering from chronic things that you've asked God to intervene on your behalf and, and it doesn't seem like anything has happened, right? And we don't control God's power. And so it's a lot of times it's just easier to just not try, right? It's easier to just be like, well, I don't know. I guess God's not doing anything. And we just kind of carry on with all the other stuff. Um, but, you know, part of what the vineyard does for us as a movement is the vineyard's like, yeah, that's not, that's not who you are. <laughs> that's not who you are as a church. That's not who we are as a people. Right? This is a movement, this is a group of churches that's predicated, it's birthed out of the power of God moving. And so you don't get to, I, you know, it's like I hear, I can almost hear the national team like kind of pressing on this, like, no, you don't get to just pretend like God's not doing anything right now or to kind of cover things over. No, you need to press into the hunger and, and the desire and the openness to see God move in power. That's, that's what you need, and that's what, the, that's what the vineyard does for us. And, you know, I think for us as a church, you know, just in the season that we're in right now, you know, we've been, uh, we've been talking a lot about this, uh, the idea of us, and we've been talking about Jesus as the king, and, and we've just been, like, kind of sitting in this place where it's like God is forming a lot of things in us, I think. God is kind of like recalibrating some things for us. He's helping us to think about things in ways that um, we weren't before. Um, and I think one of the things that's really, really clear to me anyways is that, uh, that he's doing, that he's saying to us is, I mean, you guys need to rely less and less on kind of human wisdom and on your sort of your own agenda, you know, whatever, think, whatever it is that you and your humanity that you think needs to happen, you need to rely less on that and you need to rely more on what the Spirit is saying and what God is, God is trying to lead us into. We need to lean more and more in reliance on that. You know? Does that make sense? Um, and so that's our context for the series. You know, it's to, 
be able to open ourselves up and say that. And, you know, after the series, we're going to do, uh, I think, I think the, the way the series is going to go is, is it's probably going to be fairly practical, right? After the series in the summer, we're going to do a whole series on the kingdom of God, which is called the kingdom. And, and we'll probably talk some more about the theolo- theological underpinnings of these things. But, but in this series, we're, we're especially this morning, we're just going to really talk about, man, what does God do? What does the Holy Spirit do to empower us? What does that look like? And so, like I said, I'm just going to tell some stories. I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to start with one out of the Bible. This is the, this is the only one that I know I'm going to do. So the other ones, we'll just see where it goes, okay? So this is in Luke 8. This will be familiar to some of you. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Okay? And so I have, a, I have a one daughter also, and she's 12 years of age, so I'm like, oh, yeah, this, is, this hits home. And so this is situation one. And then, here's situation two. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Okay? So here's this woman who, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that, that are sort of wrapped up in just that one sentence. Um, and, you know, we, we watch this in The Chosen. This is just a like one of the reasons why we really appreciate the chosen. It's not the chosen is this is this uh, TV series. Okay, if you're not familiar with it, and it's not it's not scripture. We're really clear about that. Okay, it's not scripture, but it sort of like imagines things from scripture. Sort of fills out some of the storyline. So when we look at like a story like this, it says like a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Like that's a very simple statement, but we can imagine kind of creatively what would that have been like for her. Right? And especially in that culture and what we know about that culture, like that woman would have been in really bad shape. You know, she would have been really despised. People would not have wanted to be around her. She would have been uh, probably outcast, you know, from everyone else, but also just from how she felt, right? She would have felt like, I need to not be around anyone as much as possible. And, and you know, so like I, I loved how The Chosen showed that. Like she, this woman was just always like going out of town, and like going to wash her, her things like in a river far away from everyone else, right? She's this woman in a desperate place. She's gone to all the doctors, right? Nobody can fix her. She's spent everything she has. She's desperate, right? So this is, so this, is this passage. There's two, it's a two for one, right? You get, a, you get a, a, a father who's desperate for his dying daughter, right? If you can imagine that. And we get this woman who's, who's desperate for healing. And so here's what happened. So this woman, she came behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And all denied it. And Peter, of course, says, Master, the crowds surround you are pressing in on you. Right? Like in other words, how can you say you touched me? Everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? Right? But Jesus says, someone touched me, for I perceive that the power... The power, right, has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hitting, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Okay? And now this is what Jesus said. This is the, 
This is just an incredible statement. It says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, I don't, I don't want to preach on this passage for very long, but I just, I just, mostly just about telling the story, just imagining what this is, right? That's, what I, that's where I want you to be. But, but this, is, this is an incredible statement, especially when we think about this idea of being empowered. Like, in this case, Jesus is on the scene, right? So it's totally clear that he's the one acting, right? He's the one doing the healing, okay? But instead of pointing that out, that, hey, I've healed you, woman, right? He points out what her role in it was. And he says, no, you bringing yourself to me, and, and it, would have been, it would have been a hard thing for her to do, right? She would have had to come in from, you know, being an outcast. She would have had to push through this big crowd. She would have had to do a lot of things that were wildly inappropriate in a lot of ways. Just to, it just whatever she had heard about Jesus just made her think, if I could just touch him. She just had that faith to be able to come up to him and touch him. And he points that out, right? Your faith has made you well. It's an incredible statement. And he says, go in peace, which a lot of people think is like, basically, you're forgiven of your sin, you know? Uh, so then back to the other story. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Which is kind of fascinating to think about too, right? Like they, they had some understanding that, yeah, Jesus could heal people, you know, but there was obviously a limit to that healing in their minds, right? Like she's dead now, it's no use. They knew he had some power, but it was like there was a cap on that, right? And so they're saying, no, she's dead now, don't come. But Jesus, on hearing, them, hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the mother and father of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they all laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Right? And actually in The Chosen, when they, when, they, when they show this, they actually show them like these professional mourners, right? People who had been hired in in that culture to, to weep. and like, They're like angry, right? They're angry at Jesus for saying this. They're not just mocking. They're angry because they're like, you're like, you know, are we going to get paid, basically? <laughs> like, is this, is this job? They're like, what are you talking about? And they laughed at him, right? It's like, no, she's dead. We know she's dead. But then this happens. But taking her by the hand, the little girl... He called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Okay? That's what you, I guess when you're dead, you're hungry afterwards. <laughs> after you, I don't know. Um, so she raises, he, he raises Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, raises this girl from the dead. Okay? So that's the story. All right, I'll keep going. Next story. I'm just looking at the clock, so. Um, talking about the vineyard, right? Um, I, I was listening. There, there's so many, there's so many stories in, in the vineyard uh, from, the, from the founding of the vineyard. I mean, I just, there's just so many stories. Uh, but this week, when I was listening to um, some of those stories, just reminding myself of some of the incredible things that God has done um, 
through our history, uh, I actually stumbled into a story that I didn't know, I hadn't heard before. Um, and so the, so kind of the recognized founders of the vineyard, John and Carol Wimber, um, they, they came to, to know Jesus. Uh, they, they didn't know Jesus at all. And they came to know Jesus uh, through a man named Gunnar Payne. Okay, Gunnar Payne. Uh, probably not a name that most of you have heard. But Gunnar was this, uh, he was a, an oil worker. Okay, so he's kind of like a, a gruff guy, but he's had a powerful encounter with Jesus. He'd come to know him, and, and he became this like, just really passionate evangelist. He was just always telling people about Jesus and, and, and actually just like going around randomly telling people about Jesus. And, and Gunnar was the person that ended up leading John and Carol Wimber uh, to faith and, and ended up kind of tutoring them and, and, and bringing them under his wing. In a lot of ways, like he was kind of their, their first pastor, right? And uh, Gunnar's story was kind of, I mean, kind of incredible. And I don't, I doubt I'll be able to get through this uh, without getting emotional, but, um, but Gunnar's daughter, uh, I think there's some question about exactly how old she was, but, um, but she, was, she was a teenager, we think, um, and she was killed when she was a teenager. And she wasn't, she wasn't just killed, she was actually like, like murdered in, in sort of an unspeakable way, like can't, don't, don't want to talk about it, like really, really bad. And uh, they actually sent people out to find uh, the, the, the murderer, the person who had done this. And Gunnar, even from the beginning, was like, like he was going to go out and look for this person. But even from the beginning, he was like, well, I hope I find this guy first. Not, that I, not so that I can enact my retribution on him, but so that everybody else doesn't. <laughs> he was interested in, in actually saving this person from what he knew back then in, in kind of like the, the farms, farmland of California, like literally kind of the Wild West in some ways, right? He, he was worried about this person, you know, suffering this uh, retribution right away. And, um, and so it ended up that they caught this person, they put him in jail, this person that had, had murdered his daughter. And Gunnar Payne, uh, he not only forgave this guy, he went on a regular basis. I mean, just, just imagine this. He went on a regular basis to the prison where this man was held to, not, again, not just forgive him, but to, the, the, way, the, way the, uh, the way the person that I was listening to put it, says it, was to win him to Christ. He went there, like, almost every month, if not more, you know, just to keep talking to him, to keep ministering to him to win him for Christ until he finally came to know Jesus. Like, can you imagine that? Like, I, I, that's just like so far out of my, you know, perspective at all, right? Like, why? What would possess you to do something like that? Well, I would say the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit empowering something that's totally outside of yourself. You know, I think... You know, we can think about empowerment uh, sort of with the Holy Spirit like in two ways. Like there's, there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit empowers us. He indwells us as believers. As soon as we say yes to Jesus, he, he indwells us and so, that, so that we have this thing that lives inside of us all the time. And, and part of that sense of empowerment is like just being authorized for something that was already in there to come out, right? That's one of the meanings of empowerment. But another meaning of, the, of empowerment is that that, no, there's something that was outside of you 
that is then given to you that comes through you, right? It's something that clearly wasn't there before. You didn't have any of the power within you before, but then it comes, is given to you by the Holy Spirit, and then it comes out, right? So I think, like, in this case, it's like, it's both, <laughs> right? And that's what we want, is we want both. Um, you know, Gunnar Payne, obviously, he had had this deep indwelling of the Holy Spirit for many years, and then he also had this external thing, this Holy Spirit that came on him to, to be able to do this for all this time. And, you know, just thinking about it, it's like, you know, that, you know, that, again, that's the man who led John and Carol to Christ. That's the man who shepherded them for many years before the vineyard was even a thing. That is the soil, that is the fertile ground in which the vineyard movement was planted. Right? That is the soil in which, and therefore, and therefore us, right? Therefore our church and our and what we do, that is the ground in which we are planted. Gunner Payne. Um, okay, another one. This is from, this one's just cool, okay? This is from this book called Miracle Work, which I, uh, a number of us went through a while back. Uh, it's by a, a vineyard guy named Jordan Sang, and, and he's just, yeah, he's got a lot of great things to say can't get into any of them this morning, but I'm just going to tell the story about, uh, you know, he's doing these healing, he, he did this like annual healing conference, okay, where you just bring people together and you just like, you know, invite all of your, you know, all of your friends or anyone who's got things that need to get healed, let's just get together, um, partly in the belief that as, as there's more faith kind of in one place and, and welling up in people that, that maybe, again, you can't, can't control the Holy Spirit, but maybe God would move in a, in a different way in that context, because um, that seems to be true, right? And so he's doing this healing conference, and, and uh, this one year, this guy comes, this guy named David, and he had had polio, and this kind of nerve, uh, nerve issue that basically made his legs, like, totally, totally crazy. Like, the bones were all out of shape, and, you know, he had to wear leg braces for his whole life. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think you can imagine just like someone just like not being able to get around at all. And, and, um, and so this guy comes to this conference and, and as, as uh, Jordan Sang is, is doing the conference, he can actually see, right, he can notice that actually God seems to be doing something. The Holy Spirit seems to be doing something over, over in this area here. And, and it's happening to this guy. There's, there's this, this healing that seems to be happening. In fact, they can they can actually hear, like physically hear, like bones moving around. And, and he actually says, like, you could, you could see, like if you were looking at the guy's foot, you could see they, were, they would, like, kind of puff up a little bit and then go down, and it's, like, just this kind of crazy, like, thing just happening in, in their midst. And, uh, and, like, it just kind of goes on. They start to pray for him. They pray for him some more. It goes on, and, and he's, like, he's, like, partially healed. Like, he can actually start to move around in a way that's different than before. And, and then, actually, when he walks away, like, Jordan just has a sense, like, you're going to be more healed as you walk away, and then that's exactly what happens. He gets more healed. And then overnight, even as he's sleeping, he gets, he gets more and more healed, and he wakes up the next morning, and lo and behold, the dude can walk. Like, he tries to put his leg braces back on, and, like, they just don't even fit. And he just, like, doesn't even need them, right? Crazy stuff. Um, and, you know, I read the story, and when I, I read this part, uh, I remember reading this originally, and I was just, like, I just, like, wept after reading this. Um, he says that, uh, uh, 
you know, a year later, this is Jordan speaking, I saw David at the same conference, and he strode towards me confidently, stopped and opened his arms to show me his new form. No one would have thought that he had suffered with polio or nerve disease. No canes, no braces, no pain. Jordan, he said grandly, I'm even doing yard work. So, which is good. I mean, I've never celebrated that, but maybe I should, right? Maybe I should. Uh, he told me a funny story about his doctor looking at the new x-rays taken after the healing session. Um, something has changed here, the doctor said. And David shared his testimony, and, well, what can I say, said the doc. Something has happened. Obviously, he didn't believe, you know, uh, what, that it was spiritual, but there it was. So that evening, Jordan, Jordan says, I was scheduled to do another healing seminar, and David was assigned to be my introducer. He walked up to the microphone, and he says this. The first time I came to a healing seminar, I was wearing these. And he lifts up his old leg braces, and he drops them on the floor, and just, you know, clanging loudly. And he says, now I'm not. Welcome to the seminar. And Jordan says, as introductions go, it was pretty cool. <laughs> so, you know, so Don's introduction to me was, was great, but not, it, 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 I think that one is better. <laughs> right? Um, and you know what, so what, what Jordan says a lot about these types of stories, and that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an extreme one. That's pretty good. Um, that doesn't always happen, right? But he, but he talks about these stories because there's the idea that as we, as we hear, as we're reminded of what God can do, right? Like just again, think about, think about the story of the people when Jairus' daughter died. Right? They knew that God could do some things. They knew Jesus could do something, but they had, this, they had this cap on what he could do. There was a limitation that they had placed on what they thought God could do. And Jesus was like, no, I'm going to go past that, right? And so like in hearing these things, part of what I think God wants for us is to just like kind of break us out of what we think he can or can't do, right? And it's scary. It's scary. I'll tell you that, right? It's it's hard. I've been, I've been through um, seasons myself. You know, I had a, uh, a number of years ago, you know, I felt a great deal of, uh, uh, I don't know, just, just passion and faith for being able to pray for healing and stuff. And we saw some things happen. Like one of my, uh, one of my friends, he's a surgeon, and he had had a problem with his wrist. And it was like kind of a problem because he's a surgeon, you know, and like we, we prayed for him one night and like he got better. I was like, okay, that's cool. I don't know. I don't know what happened exactly, but that seemed like a good thing. Um, another one of my friends, you know, he had been, he had like knee on knee, uh, bone on bone grinding in his knee. It was like really, really bad, and he was like in imminent need of surgery. Um, and and he just, it was just a terrible time for that to happen. He didn't want it, and so we prayed for him, and it got it got better. It was like tolerable. We actually we bought, we, we prayed for him a couple of times. We actually bought him like. I don't know, at least five or six years, okay? It didn't, he didn't heal all the way. He still ended up needing to have the surgery, but it was, like, it was pretty cool. Like, it bought him years of, uh, of uh, being able to walk around with his knee until he could actually get the surgery in a way that was not so intrusive, and it was pretty cool, right? And, um, and so, you know, you know, we prayed for sickness and all things, and it, was like, it felt like we, we saw some things happening. And then, you know, for a number of reasons, and I don't know, who knows, uh, who knows why? There's lots of reasons. It's like just kind of 
you know, like I said, left to our own devices, we can just kind of let these things let these things go, right? Just sort of let it taper off, and then there's just like a long time where you know, I can't really think of anything that the Holy Spirit really did through me or even around me that was like particularly surprising or, you know, or it could be called miraculous. I don't know. I just I can't think of anything. Um, until uh, a couple summers ago, <laughs> I, I was actually, and this, this will be, I guess this is a story. This is my last story. Sorry. Um, I was actually... Uh, it had tremendously bad pain in my feet, okay? It, it turned out it's, it was actually like basically gout, okay? I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was, it was incredibly painful. I couldn't walk around at all, and I was just about, this was like the summer, not the summer of COVID, but after COVID in 2021, we were, we were finally, we were going to go on vacation. We were going to meet my in-laws. We were going to go to Disney World, okay, with my kids. Long-awaited, very, very, you know, it was like, we were looking forward to this, and it was right before that, and I could not walk. <laughs> I couldn't walk. This is a problem, going to Disney World, uh, or traveling at all. Like, I could barely walk around in my house. And so I managed to make it uh, the, the Friday before we left to, to our home group. And, you know, she's not here today, which is probably good, because she'd be embarrassed. But, uh, but our, our, our sister, Sandy Walker, uh, who had you know, been through the School of Kingdom ministry. I knew she had, she had some framework for praying, but I also knew she was, like, very, very timid about it. She was, like, scared to do it. But, you know, she and Anna and our group laid hands on my foot, prayed for it. It's like, you're kind of out on a limb, you know? What's going to happen? And, you know, I didn't really feel a whole lot that right then and there. But, you know, this pain had been there. It had been there for days. It wasn't going away. It was getting worse, probably. And lo and behold... The next morning, I got up, and I was fine. <laughs> I could walk around. I felt, a, felt, felt just like a little bit in there, but it was like, I'm walking around. And I walked 20 miles <laughs> in Disney World the next two days after that. <laughs> 20 miles. That was pretty cool. And, you know, after that time, right, as I was reflecting on it, I was like, like that just changed my outlook of what, God, you know, just even his presence, right? Like just what the Spirit could be doing. And so, so over time, you know, I can look back in the last couple of years, there's like just so many times where like I feel, I just felt the, the power of the Spirit in a different way, you know, in lots of different ways. Like even, even this week, like there were multiple times where I just was like thinking and just maybe it was by myself, um, but like just knowing that God's Spirit was coming in a different way, that it was him, right? Um, and that's like, that's what we need, right? That's what, that's what we long for. Um.